This is Car Expert. The Chief Technical Officer, he will tell you that this is the most driver-focused and visceral Lamborghini that they've ever made. I think this is the feel-good, non-ranger story that Ford Australia has needed for a really long time. It wants to sell five-star cars in Australia, so whatever does come next will need to be different to this EK Cross in some way. I'm back. Hello, Tony Crawford. Mandy, how are you? I'm fabulous. After Hello. that journey of uh, endless journey in the outback. Yeah, I'll t- tell you about that in a second. Hello, James Wong. Hello. Welcome back, Mandy. Thank you very much, and thanks for everyone for filling in for me for the last couple of weeks. Um, I, I did mention a number of weeks ago I was on a, on a big journey to Lake Gardner at Speed Week in South Australia, and uh, Dad and I went in um, my little old Volkswagen Beetle that we restored together. So... Um, it all sort of went swimmingly. Um, we got up there absolutely fine. It took us three nights to get up there. We took our time and didn't see much at the speed week, unfortunately. Um, we got there on the Monday, the day it was due to start, and the corrugated roads were so bad it took us five hours to drive about 100 kilometres. Oh, my God. Um, we were just going so slow. And, yeah, 65-year-old car, you just don't want to, you know, risk driving any faster. So, And mm. by the time we got there, we missed four hours of racing. Uh, we watched oh. an hour and then the lake got damp and oh. the vehicles were obviously bogging down. They had to move the track a mile down. They did about 45 minutes of racing and then it just poured with rain and oh. it ended, ended the whole day. So we got about... Just under two hours of uh, spectating, and that oh. was it. We didn't go back the next day because the roads oh. were just shit house. So, oh um, my god! Um, well, listen, have I got a Volkswagen story for you, Mandy? <laughs> yes. Um, I was at a place in Germany in Freiburg called Mechatronic. Now, just quickly, Mechatr- yeah, Mechatronic do with Mercedes Benz what Singer do for Porsche. But they've been doing it a lot longer than Singer has since 1997. Mm. And these, so they do a pagoda with a five-litre running gear and all new stuff in it. It's worth about 500,000 euro and they've sold 40 and there's no shortage of buyers. And and they're doing a new project. I drove the pagoda and I drove their new project. But in the corner of a warehouse, and I was not allowed to photograph this, was a a reptile, not fluoro, but a beautiful Porsche-like green on this magnificently uh, put together beetle. Uh, and I believe it could do naught to 100 in four seconds flat. And um, they wouldn't tell me anything else about it. And I kept looking, what is that, guys? And they just – so, uh, look, I'm going to go back there because they're going to let me drive some more stuff. This um, Mechatronic also has one of the largest private car collections in Europe, about 600 cars, and it's one of the best curated uh, collections. They've got like three CLK Mercedes GTRs road cars. Uh, you, you barely can find one of these. They've got three of them and the only dark blue one ever made. Stuff like that. And, and the mm. Porsches were endless. Um, and, you know, they've, they've the, those donor cars, they've got so many of those pagodas and uh, old 300 um, uh, SELs that they turn into modern running cars and that's why they're so expensive. But anyway, that Volkswagen, there's more to come with that because I think they're going to do a series production of very, very special fast Beetles. It uh, would done. have to be an electric engine in that because you cannot go that fast in a normal Volkswagen engine. <laughs> I think it might have Porsche running gear. 
um, in that vehicle. So, I, I, but I, I'm, again, I've I've got to wait and, uh, until they tell me. I'm not allowed to uh, yeah. beat them up about it. Okay. <laughs> we'll find out more. <laughs> to talk about this week's car news, we have Jade at Quintino joining us. Hello, Jade. Hello, Mandy. How are you? Very good, thank you. Let's talk about the Ford Mustang Mark E. Is it coming to Australia? Yes. So Ford Australia has officially announced that the Mustang Mark E will be arriving in Australia in the fourth quarter of this year. It will be arriving with three different variants or with different outputs and different battery ranges. So I'll go through them super quickly. The entry level select has a 71 kilowatt hour lithium iron battery with 198 kilowatts and 430 newton meters. And it is um, mounted on the rear axle with a claimed range of 470 kilometers. The Mark E Premium, which is the middle of the range, brings a 91 kilowatt hour battery pack mated with a 216 kilowatt and 430 newton meter battery pack also located on the rear axle with a claimed range of 600 kilometres. Now, the flagship GT has two motors that produce a combined 358 kilowatts of power and 860 newton metres of torque with a 490 kilometres of range. It's expected to do 0 to 100 kilometres in just 3.7 seconds. Now, it's worth noting that the premium will be one of the longest range vehicles available in Australia, according to the manufacturer's claims. Now, pricing hasn't been confirmed for Australia yet, but it's based on the US pricing, which we can likely expect. So the range opens up at 68 1800 Australian dollars when converted and the flagship in Australian dollars would be 95750 Now for those who opt for the GT they can also purchase a $9,200 uh, performance pack on top of the car. Um, I want to know what do you guys think of the Mark E? Do you think it will do really well in Australia? Um, well I love it Jade. Um uh, I saw one in I saw two in America about a year and a half ago um, in LA a gray one and a white one and um, really really impressive I mean I don't know whether I'm a bit biased from being having been a previous Mustang owner and I've ordered the new dark horse but I, I don't think so I don't think that's influencing me I like the look of it um, it's got a lot of kit as as um, Mustangs do in general. Um, in Australia, and if those prices come anywhere near what you're saying now, then it's going to be a pretty, pretty decent package as far as an electric SUV goes. And I don't know that GT will obviously be quite expensive, I think, given that performance. Because I mean, three point seven seconds is is uh, what the BMW i4 M50 will do, which is one hundred and twenty five thousand dollar four-door uh, liftback. Um, so, yeah, it'll be – I think the pricing will tell all, but I think looks-wise and design-wise, it's going to get a lot of um, a lot of interest. What do you reckon, Jaywa? 
Um, I think this is the feel-good non-ranger story that Ford Australia has needed for a really yeah. long time. Um, you know, I've made mention of it many times that I worked there for a little bit of time and was there for like the pre-launch of the Escape and, um, you know, when we were I think they were communicating that they were going to bring Puma to Australia at the time and they've been promising, um, you know, electric or electrified vehicles for some time, but so far they only really have one on sale at the moment and the e-transit is about to hit the market, so they've got two. And Ford um, has typically been very tight-lipped about future product. So to, this was an announcement that is not only great for the brand, but just really exciting for consumers because I think, um, in, especially with the Mustang brand, I think a lot of people that are following the Mustang brand are very aware of what's available in other markets. And I think the Mac-E being a you know, for something of a forbidden fruit for our market for the longest time would have been really frustrating for people who love the Ford brand, perhaps have Rangers, Mustangs, or, you know, territories of Falcons, and they really want to get into the electrified space, but don't want to stray from that blue oval showroom. So to have this option, and, you know, if they can get enough of them, they've got a really wide range of variants, hopefully a wide range of price points. The car, based on overseas reviews, is, you know, very similar to Model Y in size, performance, range, all that kind of thing. It's sort of like that proper, you know, legacy brand offering to challenge something like Tesla. We've seen the Chinese do a really good job at offering an affordable entry point so that people can get a taste for EV motoring. But in terms of Tesla, I feel like a lot of the other, you know, mainstream legacy brands have really struggled to offer something that's basically a like for like for a Tesla. Um, you know, Model 3 doesn't really have any real competitors at this point, um, particularly at the same price. And you look at Model Y as well and, you know, you you get some of the luxury brands that have equivalently sized um, SUVs, but you know the Mackey being on a dedicated architecture and you know similar shape and size and everything. This is going to be a really good, um, you know, case study for the market to see how some of the other brands can deal with competing with Tesla at their own game. So I'm really excited to see it come here. I'm really excited to drive it. I hope that Ford Australia um, gets a good amount of supply to do some decent volume because if the normal, if the Mustang Coupe is anything to um, go by, I think we're going to start seeing a lot of these on the road. You might start seeing people posting photos of a Mustang V8 in the garage right next to a Mach-E mm -hmm. and they've got a pony, you know, they've got ponies in their stable. So um, <laughs> very good news and, and keen to see them on the road. Yeah, well, some other cars I'm really keen to see on the roads too are the uh, new Volkswagen uh, EV hatches and SUV range. When can we expect these to get here, Jade? Yes, super exciting. So Volkswagen has confirmed that Australia will receive its ID3, ID4 and ID5 with production starting for these models in 2024. Now Volkswagen has confirmed that the ID Buzz and the ID Cargo will also come to our shores. Now for those who aren't too familiar with the ID range. The ID3 is a golf size electric vehicle. The ID4 is similar to that of a Tiguan SUV and the ID5 is similarly based on a mid-size SUV but offers coupe styling. Along with the cars, the brand has also made the decision to bring only larger range variants with bigger batteries. The ID3 Long Range offers a claimed 546 kilometers of range from its 77 kilowatt hour lithium ion battery. And VW is promising more than 500 kilometers of range for the ID4 and ID5. 
Now, do you think people will flock to the SUV models in the EV space, given that now they have got a well-known brand um, jumping into that segment? I think they will. Um, uh, by the way, I, I saw an ID buzz uh, in Germany, and they look freaking sensational. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, they'll be addictive for people that like that whole combi look and want the absolute modern tour de force technology in an EV version of that. And um, yeah, I I saw an ID four and ID three. I wasn't enamoured. With, um, I, I, I certainly thought the ID3 looked a lot better than the ID4. Um, but I didn't see a lot of those in Germany and I was there for five days. So that might tell you something. I was around Stuttgart, um, which is not the home of Volkswagen, um, but only seeing two in five days, I thought well, that's kind of a bit odd. The fact that they're a Volkswagen product and a mainstream and a legacy brand and now they've got a range of SUVs and, and, and cars and hatches. I think that's going to inspire confidence with uh, EV buyers and, 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 you know, maybe people that don't really want to take a chance on, on some, uh, uh, some Chinese brands that they don't really know, uh, although that's proving incorrect itself, isn't it, because they're buying so many BYDs and that. So uh, I don't know, maybe JWO's got a different slant on that. No, I, I think it's. I tend to agree, really. Like just like what we were saying with the with the Ford um, Mustang Mackie, I think um, we're finally seeing the the big players from a global standpoint. And Volkswagen and Ford are very big players in the EV space and big players in other segments of the market too that we don't really get to see much of here because you know back home Volkswagen is king like you know Volkswagen is to the European region what Toyota is to here and a lot of other regions of the world and so you know they have such a diverse dense range of vehicles that they offer and you know I went um, to Europe very briefly last year and you know in the UK every second car was an ID3 or an ID4 and it was the first time I'd ever seen them and um, you know they definitely look a little bit different but like what everyone else has already said, you know, that there, there is correlations between the ID range and existing models that I think, again, Volkswagen owners in Australia in particular have been very, very limited in their electrified options. Volkswagen doesn't offer uh, mild hybrid versions of cars that it has here that it offers overseas. We don't get the plug-in hybrids available in other markets, um, though that might start to change soon once they bring the Touareg and potentially new versions of the Volkswagen Golf and Tiguan that are meant to have plug-in hybrid versions in the next year or so. But but, you know, a lot of people will be like, okay, what can I buy? And if they want to stay within the group, they have to look at an Audi e-tron, which is old and, you know, doesn't have great range and whatever. They don't even have the Q4 e-tron here. So it's just another example of, you know, a really big opportunity for one of the big um, industry players to really have a crack at challenging um, Tesla because in terms of the EV market, I think Tesla is widely regarded as the benchmark and the leader and the sales show that, you know, objectively its products are reviewed very well. And, you know, while there have been some mixed comments from, say, ID3 and ID4 in other markets, you know, we're going to launch with the updated ID3 that has quite a few revisions to make it nicer inside, but it's drive better tech integration that um, have been key complaints of the current one. Um, and the ID4, you know, it's a it's a form factor that people want, a, mid, a mid-size SUV um, that, again, is like a Model Y or um, Mackie 
in size. It's like a Tiguan. People want a Tiguan that's electrified. They can't get one here at the moment. So that's going to be their first option. I think there's a real opportunity there for Volkswagen to have a pathway for its existing customer base to move into electrification. And I think that's something that a lot of the legacy brands in Australia have really fumbled on is that you know they're leaving their customers that want to move up in the range hanging dry and they have to look elsewhere and you know it's sort of like um, I think a really good example of a brand that's trying to fix that is a brand like Mazda you look at how now they've they're bringing in all that large architecture stuff bringing in plug-in hybrids and all that kind of thing so people can stay in the brand and move up um, because I think a lot of people nowadays they like to stick to their the brands and stuff that they know because they want it to be easy and and familiar so I think there's a real opportunity there and I just hope that like with the comments I made earlier about Ford supply cannot be an issue the way that it is at the moment and perhaps that's why Volkswagen has waited till now to introduce these vehicles because they need to be able to supply market demand. Um, Cooper Bourne obviously launching in a month or so is going to be a really good test bed for them as well. They've sold about 500 or 600 of them already so hopefully with a more brand recognition like Volkswagen we'll see their volume in the thousands for these battery electric cars. Can I just say in Europe and particularly Germany that Cupra is everywhere. It's Mm. staggering how successful that um, that uh, brand has been. And I got to say it about you guys, but that Cupra Born is one of the best looking things I've seen on the road as far as an EV goes. It's absolutely sensational. I think what you get with that brand is you get something a little edgy and some. I've called it before like a. There's been some influence from Lamborghini with that brand, like the with the sharp edges and the the cool logos and the bronze accents. It's it's just something a bit more special than, you know, its parent company. And I think people are really resonating with that brand. But anyway, it's just something I was very noticeable seeing so many Coopers on the road. Well, yeah, just to just to build on that um, particular point quickly, um, Croft, I don't know if you noticed when you drove last drove maybe like a Cooper Formentor or a Leon, but you might spy some Audi labels scattered throughout the mechanical bits. If you look at like mm. the brakes in the engine bay, um, mm. Sayat actually used to come under the Audi group, and um, Cooper obviously being part of Sayat would be part of that. And um, given that Audi is actually the owner of Lamborghini, you can see where exactly. some of those ties have come from. <laughs> yeah, interesting point. Interesting. Yeah. Well, speaking, cool. of Lamb- speaking of Lamborghini, we're going to stick with uh, Lambo. We've got a new hybrid V12 flagship, Jade. This looks pretty mean. Yeah, so Lamborghini has revealed the hybrid V12 successor to its Aventador. Now, I'm going to try really hard and pronounce this correctly. <laughs> and Crawford, I know you're here, so I know you're going to correct me. So, <laughs> the Revuelto, did I say it right? That's pretty good. Sounds about okay, right. It's, right. Pre- We're gonna it's go pronounced Revuelto, so they say oh, really? it really fast, Revuelto. Uh, like a pro. Very good job. <laughs> very good job, Jade. Jade is Italian. Impressive. Yeah, I was going to say, if I can't do it, we've got a problem. Yeah. Uh, so it gets its name from the Spanish word, ironically, meaning scrambled or mixed, which symbolizes its hybrid powertrain setup. The new model brings a new architecture, new design language, and maximized aerodynamics. It has a 6.5-liter naturally aspirated V12 engine that produces 607 kilowatts of power and 725 newton meters of torque. 
It has three electric motors, two of which are mounted on the front that offer 110 kilowatts and 350 newton meters of power each, with the third motor mounted on the transmission that produces 110 kilowatts and 150 newton meters. It has a 3.8 kilowatt lithium ion battery pack. Now, Lamborghini claims it can achieve a 0 to 100 kilometer sprint in 2.5 seconds and a 0 to 200 kilometer per hour sprint in just seven seconds. The car is Lamborghini's lightest and most powerful car ever. The Revuelto has 13 drive modes that can be controlled using the two rotary dials on the steering wheel. And customization seems to be a focus for Lamborghini, offering 400 exterior paint options and 70 interior paint options. Wow. Uh, it's unconfirmed when and if it will come to a Australia, but I want to know, will you guys like to see this around? Like the numbers that this thing is putting out are insane. Um, so, you know, we're sort of getting to, I feel, what the limit is for acceleration figures <laughs> is these days when you're getting to two yeah. or two and a half seconds, like... Like you're basically asking for warp speed after that. So unless we're all going to turn into Star Wars characters, I don't think we can go any faster. Um, I think it looks very cool. It looks like that, um, was it the Cien? Or there was a there's a vehicle that they yeah. released not long ago that sort of previewed this design language. So it looks a lot like that. Um, it still sort of stays true to the Aventador as well, but there's a little bit of Countach in there, I feel, particularly at the back. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's, it, it's a really cool thing. I don't know. I find some of these really new age, modern hypercars or, you know, supercars from Ferrari and Land Lamborghini are getting a little bit generic in their design in that they're not as distinctively from mm. those brands as they used to. Like there are some new Ferraris now that I could, there could be McLarens for all I know. Um, so I think that, you know, this is still probably identifiable as a Lamborghini, but you're kind of looking at it going, oh, what's that? Um, but I think it looks really cool. The numbers are insane. So I'd love to hear what the V12 sounds like, perhaps with the electric motor on uh, electric motors, sorry, on song, because I imagine oh, there yeah. might be like a supercharger style wind to it. Um, so I'd love to see a video of one of these like tearing up a drag strip or the racetrack because I reckon it'd be insane. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, look, I was at the actual reveal of this thing last week and um, you can actually go on their website for anyone that's listening and um, play the the soundtrack of the EV mode and the V12 uh, in full in full noise. So that, that's quite interesting to have a listen to. But this is, um, yeah, look, there are, uh, Jay was right, there's a bit of Kunchash, there's a bit of, there's a lot of Aventador, um, but um, if you listen, listen to Mitya Borkert, who's, the, who's designed that car from the ground up, um, it, this was a this was a clean sheet design, so he could do anything he wanted, and he's ended up with this. This is actually a, a slightly longer car than the Aventador, and and the reason for that is there's a lot more room in this car because there wasn't any room to carry even a phone in the previous Aventador. So this now has space behind the uh, behind the seats. Only has two seats, of course, and uh, mid mid engine uh, vehicle. V12. It has a um, uh, three motors, as Jade said. The third motor uh, is actually within um, mounted to the gearbox, uh, which is really interesting um, to save. So there's no transmission tunnel as such as there was before. 
Um, so the, they've managed. This is a packaging thing to make sure there's more space inside it, and, and you can actually fit bags in this, like two suitcase type soft bags, and you can actually go away. You couldn't do that in the event at all before. So they've they've spoken to a lot of their customers, and their customers wanted more space. They've delivered that, and it's way more aerodynamic. It's way stiffer. It's a brand new carbon fiber. The entire chassis is carbon fiber, effectively, and even the front uh, four. The front forged front end of the chassis is actually um, compressed carbon fiber, and they use short strands. And they showed us the the press. There's a 500, uh, 500 uh, can I get this right? 500 ton, yes, 500 ton press that presses that stamps this stuff out. They really are Lamborghini are the world leaders in carbon fiber um, car manufacturing chassis now. They they do it all in house. It's absolutely remarkable and how modern and efficient this this brand has become you know they could virtually stub their carbon fiber uh, technology out to other car makers if they so desired or wished um they're also um uh, this car um those scroll modes that jade was talking about that change the 13 drive modes including several uh, ev modes this car can run full ev all-wheel drive i think that's a really interesting thing Mind you, only for about 13, 14 Ks or up to maybe 16 Ks in total. Um, <laughs> but it's not, they're not, a, it's not about range. They have a very small compact battery, which is only about performance. So range doesn't figure into this. And um, if you, if you talk to Reuven Moore, the chief technical officer, he will tell you that this is the most um, driver focused and visceral Lamborghini that they've ever made. Uh, it's a big statement, um, given that it's a hybrid. But this even sounds better because it revs to 9,500 9, um, RPM, which is insane, right? And, and, and for that, uh, when they were doing testing, they found that if they increase the revs, they can actually get a better sound than the Eventador even though it's a hybrid. So, you, you know, the technology, this is an absolute tour de force of technology. Um, you could study this car, uh, designers and manufacturers, to how how to build a, a, a hybrid supercar or super sports car, as they call it. They're calling it actually a high-performance electrified vehicle. Um, that's their sort of dub name of this thing. And uh, so, so they're calling it a world first, effectively, a V12 hybrid um, done this way. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's brilliant. It, it really is just sitting in it and, and, and hearing Reuven Moore explain that this car will give more feedback than any of our cars in the past. I think that's something really amazing. We don't know the price. Um, I suspect it's going to be up near a million bucks. Mm, I would say uh, certainly eight, 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 I'd say eight hundred to a million bucks or somewhere in between. Um, and you know what? I don't think there's going to be any shortage of uh, buyers for this vehicle. Mm. Uh, in fact, they're already. He told me um, the CEO um stefan winkelman that they were sold out for two years already and that's before anyone had actually seen the car um so i mean that gives you some idea of how successful lamborghini are at the moment in 2022 they sold 9230 cars and you're probably talking an average price of about 400 plus so you can imagine you know how well this company is doing and it's only a very small you know uh, effectively an offshoot of audi 
um, and yet they are creating technology that's n- never been done before in this in this segment. And um, I, I think they can be very very proud of what they're doing, these guys. And and uh, it is Jaywa very Lamborghini when you get up to it. Um, there's no mistaking this for any other brand. Uh, even inside, Mitya was uh, telling us that there's some alien type of um, designs in this vehicle up at the front of the dash that is completely been designed from an, an alien uh, influence. And he actually showed us on, he said, well, to give you an idea, folks, of what the next generation Lamborghini will be, there, there was the um, there was a River Welto sitting there, and then a spaceship on the other side, <laughs> and, and oh um, it's quite a funny uh, take on things. But uh, he's really influenced by uh, very uh, alien-fied stuff, and and um, uh, he, even in his even motorcycle um, design has gone into this car because he loves he loves Ducati. So it's a really the, the whole company is just full of very passionate people in in performance cars and you know a v12 hybrid that can do uh, by the way jay that it can actually do naught to 200 in under seven seconds so yeah better than seven seconds so <laughs> we'll wait and see what that is but um i think for a car this big and of course rear wheel steer makes a massive difference when you've got a large car you can actually uh turn into big you know uh, underground car parks and navigate yourself perfectly easily in a large car as long as you've got rear wheel steer we did that with bentley a couple of years ago in monaco which has the world tightest streets and you're driving this um giant sedan around tight tight hairpins and it's just no problem at all so um yeah uh, fascinating uh, product and um, uh, one of the world's fastest cars with a naturally aspirated engine, of course. I mean, you've got Tesla Play that can do 0 to 100 in something like 1.9. I mean, they're just insanity, really. But this mm-hmm. is, you know, this is sort of getting the best of both worlds, a foot in the electrified world and, and very firmly planted in one of the best sounding engines of all time. Mm, beautifully summed up. Okay, we're going to go from some really exciting news to some very sad news. I'm sure a lot of people have already known about this news, though. But uh, Kia Stinger, you can no longer buy a new model, Jade. Yeah, that's right. So Kia Rochelle has come out and said that they are no longer taking new orders on the Stinger as production begins to wind down in Korea. Kia Australia told Car Expert that it will be focusing on filling its back orders prior to the end of production. Kia confirmed in December last year that it will cease production of the Kia Stinger in 2023. A few selected markets will have access to one of a thousand Tribute Edition models to send off the former flagship. Australia, unfortunately, does not make the cut. Australia sold 2,242 Stingers last year, with the brand saying that 90% of customers offered for the top spec GT model. Now, once the Stinger ceases, it will pass the baton over to the all-electric EV6. Bit of a controversial question, but do you guys think that internal combustion engine performance vehicles are exiting the market at a rapid pace, or do you think we'll still see them for quite a while? I think that's really interesting, Jade. Um, It feels like they're exiting in some cases at a rapid pace, but then you've got the Mustang launching the Dark Horse, uh, as of uh, deliveries won't start till Q124. So 
it, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a, you know, like in one hand they are and on the other hand you've got people introducing naturally aspirated V8s in a year's time. So it's a strange one. Um, but it does feel like that if you're looking to buy a naturally aspirated performance car now, it's probably going to be a bit of a historical piece, and you're going to be a, you're looking at it as a bit of a collector's item, I think, um, because you know even Lamborghini uh, as up to 2030, you know, I, you're not going to be able to. Everything will be electrified by 2025, and then they'll go full EV. So, look, I think a lot of OEMs are doing and thinking about the same thing. So it does feel a, it does feel a bit uh, old school if you are not going for a performance EV. Um, hmm, interesting. Yeah, well. Yeah, I think um, it really depends on you know which brands we're talking about and which regions that they're really focusing on. As as Cross said, you look at the American market where they're still selling you know heavy trucks like the F one fifty, and even though they have electric versions, the bulk of their sales will still come from V eight you know, big block engine models um, and, you know, Mustangs and Corvette, for example, are cars that you can't really have yet with any real, any form of electrification. The Corvette's just released a hybrid version and the women to be seeing a, an all electric model in not too, not too long, but there's a very core customer base there that um, I think will still demand some form of internal combustion power. When you look over at Europe, you know, you've got most of the European brands because they're so, um, under pressure by the European Union at the moment. You're just going to see them introduce electrification in different ways at different stages. You look at like Volkswagen's just going all EV by, I don't know, it's like 2028 or something like that. Um, and you're seeing how its models at the moment are sort of progressing into that. They've gone back on being just ID models and now they're going to keep the their legacy nameplates living on as electric cars. Um, Audi's sort of doing the same thing um, and using the e-tron banner. Then you look at companies like Porsche, which again have a very, very strong um customer base in, with its classic cars and its even current models where they're still demanding that really old school internal combustion format and then they're also pushing ahead with the development of e-fuels and um, synthetic fuels so that they can try and keep that stuff alive. Um, with respect to Kia, I think what um, Kia and Hyundai, well, the Hyundai group has been very strong on its stance on electrification. I think it's got big plans to be, you know, a leader in in electrification in across the world and you know in the Korean market. They're going very strong on hybrids, plug um, and EVs in particular. They're exporting a lot of plug-in hybrids and EVs to other markets and hybrids as well. And I think that's just part of their brand strategy. So with the Stinger, I think it was um, perfor- not performing great globally in terms of sales. Um, I remember reading a report that in in the domestic market. Market, the Genesis G70, which is based on effectively the same platform, um, was outselling the Stinger by like three or four to one in Korea, even though they're basically the same car. And that was sort of where the Stinger's demise commenced um, because they just couldn't really figure out a way to make uh, to make it compete um, at home or on a global level. Because I think once that initial interest died off, um, they could, they weren't really able to do much with the car to make it. Um, as appealing as it was at the beginning. So, you know, you look at the EV6 very easily. You've gone from a car that's challenging a an Audi S5 to one that's challenging an Audi RS6. You look at the an, an EV6 GT is pumping out almost identical performance and power figures to an Audi RS6 event. Um, you know, they're similar size. Uh, they've 
do zero to 100 in the same amount, but you can basically buy two and a half of those Kias for the same price as an Audi. And I think, you know, it's just a decision that a lot of these mainstream manufacturers are having to make. Do we pursue with the investment in internal combustion engines and appealing to a, a certain, a very specific customer base that might be able to stay with us for another five to 10 years? Or do we look further forward and just, you know, get on the get on it early and just make everything electric? And I think that's what we're seeing Kia doing here. And for our last news story, we're actually going to bring in Scott Colley, who's going to make an extra big appearance later on. Hello, Scully. Hello, Mandy. It's, it's nice to be here a little bit early. Yes, I think so too. Um, now, the Mitsubishi ASX we know is ancient. I feel like it's almost half of our age right now. <laughs> Are we going to get the new one in Australia? Look, I don't want to give too much away, but I think of the four people who are on the panel right now, it actually might be half of one of our ages. Um, Thank you. The, the ASX yeah, has been around for 13 years now, uh, and you would think that Mitsubishi would have a replacement lined up for it because most cars live eight years. Some commercial cars get 12 years, but for like a popular SUV in a popular segment to live for 13 years is kind of unheard of. Um, recently, we were in Japan with Mitsubishi and had the opportunity to interview a couple of their senior execs, John Signorello, who used to run Mitsubishi Australia and now is in a, a sales and marketing role, uh, and the head of product planning for Mitsubishi globally, uh, Namiki-san. And one of the big questions was, what the hell is happening with the ASX? And the answer was, look, we have some ideas. Um, Namiki-san confirmed there, there could be, and could be is a quote, a replacement for the ASX because it can't live forever. But he also sort of said that they haven't actually locked in what it'll look like yet. The two options Mitsubishi has are to go with the XFC concept, which was a Southeast Asian market car that looks perfect for Australia as well. It's not been revealed in production form yet, but it's the right size, but looks much higher tech than the ASX. But if that was going to come to Australia, it would need to be updated significantly with structural changes more than likely and engine changes as well, because Australia's emissions and crash rules are very different to those in markets like Thailand. That's an expensive process and it's also a process that requires big volumes. And although the ASX is big in Australia, Australia is not a big market and right-hand drive is not a big deal in Southeast Asia, which makes that a challenging approach. Mm. The other option that Mitsubishi has is to rebadge an alliance product because it's part of an alliance with Renault and Nissan. Um, In Europe, the ASX is a rebadged Mitsubishi captor That is an option that's available to Mitsubishi in Australia as well. But there's challenges there too because it would need to convince Renault to build enough captors in right-hand drive to satisfy ASX demand. It would need to price it right. And at the moment, the ASX runs from between just over $20,000 to just over $30,000. The captor starts at the mid-$30,000 mark. And Mitsubishi would also need to move on from what was not a great situation with the Express, which was a rebadged Renault that was sold in Australia and was absolutely whacked by ANCAP, got a zero-star rating. It sold okay, but it was never all that strong. That was its last rebadging effort locally. So it would need to sort of, I suppose, put that to the side and commit to, to taking on rebadging again in a way that maybe it might not be willing to. One of those options it is the most likely. And Mitsubishi, having told us there only could be a replacement and told us there's no... Uh, there's no sort of plan locked in for it yet, also said it doesn't expect for there to be a gap between the current car and whatever replaces it. So that would suggest that the current ASX has a little bit of life left in it yet, one or two more years maybe. Uh, beyond that, we don't really know what's going to happen, but it's a bit of a, a, bit of a curious one because it is such a significant car for Australia. 
But with Mitsubishi's renewed focus on Southeast Asia and developing markets, all of a sudden we're not as much of a priority and that means that the ASX as we know it lives on. What about uh, could another option be just forget about the ASX altogether and have the Eclipse Cross as almost like its replacement? It definitely could be an option. Uh, Mitsubishi's problem with that, though, is volume. In Australia, the ASX is the brand's third best-selling car. It was about 15% of its sales last year, and it was, a, it was a big deal, basically, for Mitsubishi. It's Triton Outlander ASX. The ASX sells in roughly double the numbers the Eclipse Cross does. So, yes, Mitsubishi definitely could get rid of the ASX, but it'd be cutting out one of its best sellers. And uh, I suppose it's challenging because Mitsubishi has said also that it wants to have an attractive range in Australia. That was a quote, the attractive bit. Um, And having an attractive range means having a small SUV. All of the big brands in Australia do, and it's one of the most competitive segments. So, uh, yes, it could cut the ASX and maybe elevate the Eclipse Cross to that role, bring in a cheaper one shuffle the way the, the range is lined up. I'm not sure exactly how it would look, but it risks losing significant volume doing it and whether or not it's willing to do that is, is not quite clear. Mm. What about you guys? What do you think about the future of the ASX? I'll tell you what, though, in in the most recent um, data, sales data, they're very closely aligned in terms of numbers uh, and volume share, which is interesting. So maybe Eclipse Cross is coming up and ASX is plateauing. I don't know. But 74 and 7.5% volume share um, respectively. So pretty close. Yeah. Pretty close. All right. That wraps up this week's car news. Uh, Scully, we'll have you on a little bit later on. But uh, thank you so much, Jade. Ciao, Mandy. See you later. Now, if you've had, ever had the chance of uh, meeting Scott Colley, you would know his height is as big as his heart. And uh, that's why I find it strange for me to be saying Scott Colley drove a tiny Japanese K car. Hello, Scully. Hello, Mandy. That was quite the, uh, quite the introduction. <laughs> it could have did gone you... south, that introduction. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I suppose i got to ask, did you actually fit in the Mitsubishi EKX EV? I actually did. Um, the EKX or EK Cross, depending on who you ask, is a tiny little Japanese K car. It's 200 mil shorter than a Kia Picanto and it's a little bit narrower as well. But inside it has quite a lot of space. Uh, up front, I fit okay. I fit okay in the back seats, which was really surprising. And there's a photo that I've got on my phone of me sitting in the boot as well. Um, if you ever needed to carry someone who's two metres tall in the boot of an EK Cross, you can do it. I suppose it's down to that boxy design, isn't it? Because it's not really sleek. It is. So K cars are a Japanese class of car that were introduced after World War II and they've been evolved a bit since then. But essentially, they're designed to be small and affordable because after the war, people didn't have a lot of money and Japanese cities tend to be quite small. Um, The EK Cross is an example of one of the more popular formulas, which is kind of a boxy car with the wheels pushed all the way to the edges. And that's so that you can still get an affordable car at an affordable tax rate, but fit as much as possible into it. Um, it's like a little van on wheels, essentially. It's got a very upright front end and a very upright rear and a very tall roof. Um, it really is surprising how much you could pack in there. Was it just as fun to drive? Because it sort of looks it. Look, our drive time was limited, unfortunately. Um, the reason that Mitsubishi, when we were in Japan, put this car up for us to drive was because it sort of thinks that there's going to be a market for affordable electric vehicles going forward. Think of it as like the, the Tesla owner's second car. 
And the UK Cross in Japan has a starting price around thirty around thirty thousand dollars. The car we drove was more highly specced; it's a thirty five thousand dollar car. Uh, but it wants to investigate essentially whether something like this in the future could work locally. Um, we drove for about 15, 20 minutes on Tokyo roads. It was a very short drive. But what we did learn was even though it is small, the EK, EK Cross in going from petrol to electric packs a bit of a punch. It's got 47 kilowatts, which is the, the power limit for a K car, but it's got 195 newton meters and it only weighs about a ton. So when you put your foot down off the mark, it actually gets up and going okay. It's got a 20 kilowatt hour battery pack, which is good for 180 kilometers of range. In the real world, you'll see closer to 120 based on the trip computer in the car we had. And that battery pack and motor is shared with the Mitsubishi Outlander plug-in hybrid. So the tech underneath it all exists elsewhere in the Mitsubishi world. And because of that, it feels pretty normal to drive. It gets off the mark nicely. Uh, you've got incredible vision out because the windows are so tall and flat and the thing's just a box on wheels, essentially. And when you put your foot down, compared to some, I've driven a couple of other K cars and they have to work really hard because they all have 660cc engines. This thing feels quite effortless. It's effortless off the mark. It doesn't feel as comfortable at higher speeds. We got up to about 60 or 70 k's an hour and at that speed, it started to feel a little bit like the tall, skinny box it is. It's on tiny little tires. It's got 15-inch wheels and wow. the tires are much smaller than pretty much anything else you get in Australia. And it doesn't feel all that comfortable at higher speeds. I can imagine if you were driving it on an Australian highway and someone in, I don't know, say a Ram 1500 blasted past you after tailgating you for a little while on the highway, you'd feel a little bit uncomfortable. But Mitsubishi, when it was talking about this car, sort of said that maybe down the track, if it were to introduce something like this, it'd look at it as a different class of car entirely to the other EVs on sale in Australia. And Maybe it'd be a speed limited thing aimed at inner city people as opposed to a car designed to go on the highway as well. Um, Scott, could it suffice as a studio apartment on wheels? Could you I don't know it? that it could quite suffice as a studio <laughs> apartment on wheels, unfortunately. Um, we've seen some really interesting concepts from Japanese car makers with these K cars. We've seen, uh, I think it was Hondas aimed at carrying dogs and all sorts of crazy stuff. This is a bit more conventional than that. Um, it has up front an interior that looks a little bit like it's from the Outlander. In the back, it's got quite a lot of space. And the seats do fold flat, but Croft, even at your diminutive height, I think you'd struggle to lie down comfortably in there. Okay. <laughs> um, I was only thinking of um, affordable housing. <laughs> it still costs you $1.5 million in Sydney, unfortunately. Um, Scully, if it did come to Australia, what price would you put on it? I think this is the challenge Mitsubishi and other brands trying to bring affordable electric cars into Australia face because at $35,000, which is what the, the top spec car, and that's what it would need to be in Australia, the base car doesn't come with an infotainment system or anything like that. I think it would need to cost around $30,000. If you look at the price that BYD is targeting for the Dolphin hatchback, which is a bigger car, is likely to have a proper safety rating, they're aiming for about $35,000. So for this K car to work, it really does need to be really cheap so that people can go, okay, well, it's the car that I use to run around the city or it's a car that Domino's buys 100 of to deliver pizzas in or whatever it is. I think at the moment its scope is too limited 
and it doesn't it doesn't fit in on Australian roads well enough to justify a thirty five thousand dollar yeah. price tag. Um, Scott, being a K car, I believe that they're subject to slightly different standards, especially when you consider exporting it to other markets like Australia. What kind of things is the EK Cross lacking or need work on in order to meet those sort of requirements? Yeah, look, I, I think uh, the car that we drove would need a nose job for one. Uh, it's a little <laughs> bit interesting looking, I think is one yes. way to put it. It's like a shrunken Pajero Sport. But on the safety front, it does have a five-star Japanese NCAP safety rating. Based yeah. on my understanding, though, those standards are different to Australian and European crash standards, and I believe there may even be K-car tests specific to Japan. So hmm. I wouldn't read much into that five-star rating it does have kit like autonomous emergency braking and rear cross traffic and that sort of thing. So it does have active safety features and it's got a full suite of airbags. But ultimately for it to be certified for Australia as a five-star car, it would need to be a bit more solid, basically. Um, it, we don't know what the actual crash safety of the car is like. The other thing that Mitsubishi has made really clear is that like it wants to sell five-star cars in Australia. So whatever does come next and whatever it does try to bring to Australia will need to be different to this EK Cross in some way. Exactly what that changes, I'm not quite sure. But as a starting point, it would need a central airbag, for example, because it's so narrow that in a crash, passengers' heads would likely hit each other and under new Euro and Australian in-cap protocols, that, that's no longer something that they allow for. Um, other things that would likely need to change are the Chatamo port. It's got a Japanese fast charging standard as opposed to the Type 2 plugs we use in Australia now. So that would need to be swapped over. I think certifying this car, it is possible to get a, a K car to Australia. There are lots of firms who will grey import vehicles to Oz for customers who are really determined to, to get their hands on something quirky and small and Japanese. But to actually type certify it for Australia, to get enough volume to, to bring it to Australia and to make it a vehicle that fits in with the rest of the Mitsubishi range, I would imagine we'd need a specific version of whatever comes next because those K-car regulations, as well as they work in Japan, I think would probably preclude it from working really well in Australia. And maybe, I mean, the Suzuki Jimmy is a poor example, but in Japan they have a version of that that meets K-car regulations with no fender flares. They then sell a version in Australia with different equipment and fender flares on it that's slightly wider because it doesn't need to meet those restrictions. So... Hmm. Uh, I would imagine if it is to be sold in Australia, we'd need to know from before the car was being developed. We'd need our own version. And to justify that, you need volume. And whether or not we have the volume is a different question again. But it is interesting to see Mitsubishi looking at vehicles like the EK Cross. It's also talked about looking at the Delica, which is a, a high-riding all-wheel drive van that's sort of a little bit smaller than a Volkswagen Caddy. It's got a decent ground clearance, got all-wheel drive and a diesel engine and eight seats. It's clear Mitsubishi head office is looking at some alternative ways to tap into its customer base in Australia who previously might have owned Delicas or Challengers or Pajeros and want something a little bit different. Uh, whether or not that comes to fruition isn't quite clear. Is the Delica sold um, as a factory uh, product in the US? Or no, not? so the Delica no. doesn't go to the US. Mitsubishi's been out of the US for a little while, I think, um, but... It's still sold in Japan. Uh, underneath, it's based on the Lancer. So it's a 16, 17-year-old platform. Uh, there mm. is a new MPV coming in Mitsubishi's five-year plan. They're going to mm. do a hybrid version of it as well. Mm. Um, and it's likely to be a successor to the Delica, which is what Mitsubishi has said it would bring to Australia if it decides to bring that car. 
Mm. Uh, but yeah, it, it would have to come out of Japan or Thailand because in Southeast Asia, minivans like the Delica are very popular. Mm. Um, and I think Mitsubishi is very aware of the fact it used to sell the L300 Express, which was kind of like a Delica in Australia. It's very aware of the fact that there is a grey import market for it and maybe it could tap into that in the future. Bit of a the EK, I think, is a little less clear. Um, the, their talk about the Delica was, yeah, we're considering it. We want to understand the market. The EK was, here's a high-minded idea we have. Let's see if it might work in Australia, which is a bit of a different thought process. You wonder if, um, not on the K-car thing, but in terms of really affordable small cars, whether MG3, which is going to have a new gen after 25, whether that will go EV or not and present a very affordable EV option to a K-car. It would be very interesting to see. And already we're seeing that although you can't get one for 15 grand drive away like you can a petrol M3, you can get a fair bit of car for your money with uh, with an electric vehicle now. I mean, the BYD Atto 3 is about 50 grand. The ZSEV is around there. For about 45 grand, you can get yourself a GWM or a hatch. And the BYD Dolphin, when it arrives in Australia, is likely to be cheaper again. So we're seeing the market move that way. Um, by the time this podcast goes live, hopefully we'll have MG4 pricing as well. Yeah. I do wonder though, and the challenge that these car makers have with electric vehicles is raw material costs. Uh, when yeah. everyone was yeah. forecasting the rise of EVs and how quickly they'd take over the world, it was expected that because of the scale of battery production we were going to have, it would get cheaper to make lithium ion batteries and that would drag the costs down. But on the back of COVID, among other factors, yeah. raw material costs are rising and it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon, which means that as much as I love the idea of a cheap MG3 EV, I still think there's a, a, a ceiling or a floor, depending on which way you look at it, on how cheap an electric car can be right now. Yeah. And and I don't know that it's going to be, you know, around that 30 grand mark or, you know, or less again when it does come out. I could be completely wrong on that, but uh-uh. just everything we're seeing and hearing about the supply chain means that we're still a little while away, I think, from an electric car that can match the MG3 for price. Um, not to be a, a doomsday uh, proponent, but... The, a lot of shipping lines now are refusing to carry electric vehicles for the uh, catastrophic fire risk that you can't put the fire out once it catches. And um, I noticed there was a story going around uh, last night that uh, one of the largest shipping lines is now refusing to ship electric vehicles, mm. which is really interesting. Uh, I, I think it's something that we're... I suppose we're, we're seeing the, the next stage of challenges for electric cars now. Initially, when they were being revealed, the challenge was getting people to be interested. People are interested now. We know that because Tesla's selling thousands of cars every month and all the world's big car makers are rolling out their electric car plans. But once the technology goes from being a niche to being you know more mainstream, mainstream. and more widespread, all of a sudden there's all sorts of challenges that we dealt with 120 years ago with petrol mm. cars mm. that need to be handled with electric cars as well. Mm. So be that charging, be it cost, be it shipping. It's not surprising that they're running into these challenges, but I do think that long-term, I mean, Europe has decided that electric is the future uh, and we're going to need to work these things out because ultimately when car makers are only making electric cars and a lot of car makers have said that's going to be the case, they need to get around the world somehow. Uh, I have no doubt the shipping companies and the car makers will work out a solution. All right. Well, you've given the uh, Mitsubishi EK Cross a 7.5 car expert rating. You can uh, check out that review now. Thank you, Scott Colley. Thanks, Mandy and Tony and James. Thank you, guys. Very good. That's a wrap for this week's podcast. Where's the car expert team off to next week, j 
Uh, well, so after the Easter weekend, so I hope everyone has a very safe and happy Easter, mm-hmm. um, particularly on the roads because long weekends are always a shit show. Um, but Scott Colley will be driving the McLaren Artura in Adelaide next week, and that's yeah. really the only event that we have um, next week. But we have some stuff coming up the following week with um, some of the guys hitting, heading out internationally and domestically. Um, we, In terms of what we've got in the garage, we've got a BMW X1, uh, a Ford Escape ST line front-wheel drive, a Porsche 718 Cayman GT4, which Paul will be doing a video Oof. on, so stay tuned to our YouTube channel. Uh, we've got a Volkswagen Tiguan R Grid Edition, a Lexus RX 350H two-wheel drive luxury, a Hyundai Ioniq 6 Epic, which um, is the flagship model that I didn't really get to drive on the launch with the um, digital side mirrors and everything, so that'll be really interesting. Uh, a Kia Seltos GT line 1.6 turbo all-wheel drive, so that runs out the Melbourne garage. Um, in Sydney, Matt Campbell um, is driving the Skoda a Skoda Kamek 85 TFS TSI Ambition, excuse me. Uh, we've also got him in a BMW 330i sedan and we also have a Volkswagen Tiguan 110 TSI Life that we have a new potential author driving. So a lot of cars coming through and we've got some events coming up um, throughout April which we're, we'll definitely touch on on the podcast in future weeks. Yeah, for sure. Well, as uh, JY said, um, stay safe over the Easter weekend and we we will be back next week. (laughs) Tony Crawford and James Wong, thank you so much. Thanks heaps, Mandy. Thanks, Mandy.